0: You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction, written and read by Tansy rayner Our current serial is Musketeer Space. Chapter 8 The Nesting Habits of Musketeers It is a truth universally acknowledged, that anyone with piloting experience can easily get to grips with a mecha suit within a few hours. Dana was pretty sure that anyone who made that claim was full of enough shit to fill the mecha suit in question. This was her life now. She was a pigeon. Not just any pigeon. She was the newest recruit of Commandant Essart's elite mecha squad, charged with protecting and serving the inhabitants of the Luna Palais and surrounding city within a giant plexiglass dome on the moon. Dirt side guard duty. She pretty much wanted to kill herself. Stop complaining, said Aramis, who had, along with Athos and Porthos, sacrificed a wreck shift to come and laugh at Dana's attempts to put her new mecca suit through its paces in the mecca training centre in the outer city of Lunapalle. At least it's a job. This is not flying, Dana said between gritted teeth. This is the very opposite of flying. She'd worked in a mecha suit when she was 15 and saving every penny for flight hours. That had been quite fun. But that was space-going mecha for a few hours at a time, performing basic repair work in zero-g on the outside of Gascon Station. This was hell. She could barely walk. She couldn't wrap her brain around what all the buttons were for. And once she got the hang of it, her main duties were going to be breaking up duels and drunken brawls between citizens and pilots on leave. And oh, with a side order of providing an extra layer of wall between the disgruntled masses and the royal family in the event of assassination attempts. It was not flying. It's a start, said Porthos, who had brought a laden picnic basket for them all to share while they amused themselves at Dana's expense. Not every baby pilot gets a private audience with their regents before being rewarded with a plum position. Guarding Her Majesty's moon is an honour, agreed Athos, who had found the bottle of wine in the basket and wasn't sharing it with anyone. You impressed her. If you've all quite finished making fun of me, Dana snarled, I only have the rest of this shift to master the controls before I go on duty. If you want to make sure I don't accidentally set fire to Luna Palais or your precious regents, a little help here, please? The Mecca was a lot like flying a dart. It was plugged into her synapses, the helm of the metal body connected intimately to her brain. But while it was second nature to Dana to be at one with her ship, gliding effortlessly through the depths of space for days and weeks at a time, it was remarkably difficult to deal with limbs. These large, throbbing metal appendages stuck out from her giant tin can of a mecha suit, and they had a tendency to lash out in any direction if Dana let a stray thought distract her. She knew how to do this. The theory was the same as flying a ship. And yet, ships didn't have arms. I can't, she moaned. The Mecca lowered its pigeon grey head, and the large metal shoulders slumped. It's not too late to volunteer for a civilian transfer. Athos leaned towards her, rapping lightly, on the visor of the Mecca. "'Kid,' he said in a stern voice, "'that's not how this works. "'The regent likes you. "'She gave you this job as a dainty treat, "'as a reward for nearly stabbing Captain Jussac to death, "'which, I have to say, "'is a box I have ticked at least three times in my life "'and have never once been rewarded for. "'What was I saying?' Aramis reached out and took the neck of the wine bottle off Athos. He's saying, Dana darling, that you can't turn down Her Majesty's reward. It's rare enough to be a favourite of hers. Believe us, you don't want to make yourself her enemy. There wouldn't be anything left of you but a pile of skin and sequins. I always wondered what it'd be like to pilot a mecca, Porthos said thoughtfully, peering up at Dana. Isn't it even a little bit awesome? Dana flexed her fingers, and one of her power arms shot a sudden burst of flame at the surface of the training room, making all three musketeers jump nearly out of their skins. The floor melted into a pile of slag, then patiently began to rebuild itself. I suppose there are compensations, Dana admitted. Whenever she lay down to try to sleep in the tiny bunk allotted to her in the squad barracks, Dana found herself thinking of the regents, and the look on her face as she presented Dana with her reward. And perhaps some day, the musketeers, she had purred. The regents was the most beautiful woman that Dana had ever seen, She was a sylph of a creature, all soft lines, like a watercolour sketch of a weeping willow. Her lips had been painted gold to match her clinging gown and elaborate hair brooches. Dana had previously considered Aramis to be the pinnacle of feminine grace and beauty, but Lala Louise Renard Royale, Regents of the Solar System, left Aramis in her perfumed dust. Perhaps some day, the musketeers hope could keep you going longer than anything else. Hope would have made this whole mecca pigeon nightmare almost tolerable if it wasn't for the fact Dana could not sleep on the moon. she did not understand how anyone could. "'Dear Maman, it could be worse. "'I think if you say something often enough, you come to believe it. "'I didn't come to Paris to waddle around inside a robot body, "'but as the weeks have passed, well, "'I'm almost glad of this strange reward that the regents bestowed upon me. "'After all, we we had been caught dueling. The fisticuffs kind, as Athos would say. Not the fuck up your brain kind. And I might as well, I might well have been turfed into a cell for a month or two. Or given my marching orders from this sector of space. Yes, I'm billeted on Luna Palais on a permanent basis. And if I think too hard about that word permanent, I would scream at the walls. Dirt side is not where I want to be. But there is work for pigeons up on Parasatellite, and once the first probationary month passed, I started getting as many shifts up there as down here. Things that are good about living on the moon. 1. Leaving the moon on a regular basis. 2. Attending Zero-G Team Joust matches at the Andromeda Bowl. Especially with Porthos, who knows more about the game than any sane human being should and has colour-coded wigs to match the three different teams that she supports, depending on which stream you're following. Uh, You know what? I'm not even going to try to explain. Three. Earning credit. Which means I can pay for my own meals instead of sponging off my friends. And they can sponge off me when they're out of pocket. Which seems to happen a lot. It's amazing how easy it is to spend money on having a good time in Paris. Four. Commandant Essart is way less scary than Amaral Treville, and even cracks a joke sometimes. 5. It's not forever I don't love my mecha suit the way I'm supposed to. It's nothing like the relationship I've formed with even the most basic of practice ships. But it's getting better. I didn't accidentally set fire to anyone this week – which reduces the risk that I might do so to the regents or the prince consort. After my second month in the mecha squad, I was able to request shifts flying shuttles back and forth between Lunar Palais and Paris Satellite to transport equipment and some of my fellow pigeons. The shuttles are bulky and ugly, just like the mecha suits, and I always want to throw up when I make moonfall. But flying a ship is better than anything else. Always. And forever. It's not planet-side, at least. The shifting green-brown-golden-blue orb that is the overheated planet Honor looks pretty from up here, but I'm happy to keep my distance from the wretched place. Bad enough that I'm supposed to sleep on the moon. It's been months, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to adapt." I used to manage an hour or two in barracks when I was exhausted, but it wasn't enough. I was starting to worry it might get me seriously hurt, or worse, I don't know if it was my stupid brain or my stupider body or some gravity shit that I was never going to figure out, but sleeping on the moon was just impossible. Aramis noticed at first. You look like shit, she told me, when we went for a drink not long after my first shuttle job to Paris. Have another drink, she added. At that point, I was facing a black spiral inside my own head. I don't think I can, I told her. Drink wasn't going to help. Nothing helped. Sleep, then, she urged me. (laughs) If only. Then, I think I collapsed in the corner of the booth in the Abbey of Saint-Germain sometime later. Athos and Porthos had joined us by the time I woke up. The three of them ordered wine on my credit stud for hours, the bastards. After that, one or other of them always insisted I crash in their Paris digs when my shift ended. And after Porthos had a word with one of her boyfriends, who apparently works in scheduling and admin so convenient I can't even tell you, suddenly I get all these double shifts which happened to end on Paris Satellite instead of Lunar Palais. I have friends, crash space, and my credit is increasing at a slow but positive crawl. Life could be worse. Thanks for not telling Papa about the buttercup and for being so understanding. I hated not telling you both from the start, but most of all, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I know you're steel-coated, like me. D'Artagnan women can handle anything. Love, Dana. Dear Maman, what, really? You want to know more about these musketeers I'm hanging out with? I thought I talked about them too much already. Let's start with Athos, the one I know least about. Aramis says he has a tragic past, but she never provided details. All three of them are loyal to the point of sheer stupidity, so that doesn't surprise me. Athos lives in two rooms beside a grimy bar on 4th Level, the only drinking hole in Paris that he refuses to patronise. I think that means it's pretty bad. He shares digs with his engine Grimaud, who is much older than I expected and the perfect roommate, because she's constantly plugged into headphones and never talks. She doesn't laugh at my jokes, Athos said, the first time I unfurled my trusty bedroll on his floor. She also doesn't chatter through my hangovers, or suggest I call my mother more than once a year. Love you, Grimaud, he yelled in the direction of the tiny kitchenette. She gave him the finger, which I took to mean she loves him too, but won't put up with his bullshit. Grimaud wears a star scarf all the time, but I don't think she's especially religious. I suspect the scarf is there for the same reason as the headphones. Blocking out the universe. Or maybe blocking out Athos. The Sabres keep trying to steal her, Athos told me once. "'Best Engie in Paris. "'But she likes my ship too much to let me go. "'There's no artistry involved in keeping a fucking sabre in the sky. "'They replace each part the second it fails.'" Grimaud's children are convinced that Athos is secretly married to their mother, and they always send him brandy at New Year. I suggested this might be an elaborate assassination plot on their part, As everyone knows, Athos is the musketeer most likely to drink himself to death. There may be a formal betting pool on that one. Athos rejected the idea on the grounds that it wasn't especially good brandy. I'm not convinced. Apart from his cheap habits, his silent energy, his perverse sense of humour and his formerly ridiculous beard, Athos, the new aristocrat, remains a mystery. I've learned not to try and match him drink for drink, not to talk to him at all when he gets a certain maudlin look on his face, and never to tease him about lovers, not even when Porthos does. She teases everyone about everything and gets away with it somehow. He doesn't have friends, apart from Aramis and Porthos, and now me. The others have wider social circles, but... I think sometimes Athos would prefer to have no one at all. He has, however, been teaching me to use a pilot's slice for recreational fencing, which is not the same at all as illegal dueling. Don't freak out. I'm getting good. Porthos, or Pole to her other friends, is the polar opposite to Athos. She has a large apartment somewhere over in Gillis' section. Was it as trendy in your time as it is now? Popular civilian sector, all-fashion emporiums and cafes. Her rooms are lush, and she never stints when it comes to food, drink or treating her friends. I have no idea where the money comes from. She has at least four casual boyfriends that I know of, and I'm not entirely sure if any of them knows about each other. I can't bring myself to ask. Porthos rooms with her energy, Bonnie. It's still traditional for pilots to provide board for engineers because accommodation up here is bloody expensive and engies get paid so much less than pilots. That goes double for the musketeers. Can you have double of less? Bonnie is a dab hand at cooking as well as patching up spaceships and she has Porthos's rooms smelling and looking like heaven. She's happy to do all the cooking and cleaning as long as she has the freedom to dip in and out of the treasure trove that is the wardrobe of Porthos. Apparently if you're a lady of short stature and large bosom, regular access to designer outfits that fit you is more useful than actual currency. Whenever I crash with Porthos, it's on a comfortable sofa bed with the promise of croissant in the morning The only reason I don't do it more often is because Bonnie disapproves of me, not sure if it's personal or if she feels I make the place untidy. Still, when picking which of my friends to stay with, it's hard not to lean towards the option that means warm cinnamon milk at bedtime and a pillow that feels like a marshmallow dream made by silkworms. Finally, Aramis. I'm still figuring Aramis out. When we're out in public, she's all about wine, women and general debauchery, but at home she's a lot more quiet, introspective and, yeah, religious. Her rooms are stark, apart from a collection of antique theology texts, a brilliant selection of herbal teas and virtual windows dedicated to the weirdly green and storybook pleasant country scenery of the planet Valor. The main view in her salon is a rolling hillside with an old-style church of all. I like to be able to see the church from my hometown, she said once. day I'll have one of my own. She really does seem to believe that she'll do it one day. Leave the musketeers to join the church. Why would anyone want to be anything but a musketeer? The weirdest thing about Aramis's rooms is Bazan. He's a church android that she picked up in payment for gambling debt and reprogrammed with NG functions. His original program remains, and serving a human who isn't part of the priesthood is a constant cause of distress to him. Which makes him the most passive-aggressive android I've ever met. He delays all but the most necessary functions, except those involving religious activity. And he pointedly hates all of Aramis's friends, especially those who stay over. I always half expect to find that I've been neatly moved out into the corridor during my sleep, bedroll and all. Aramis writes, all the time. Letters and articles on theology, or the state of the soul, which she gets published in journals. Some of the letters are private, ongoing debates with other theorists. Some of them are elaborate flirtations. Others are foundations of future essays. If she could only give up her habit of seducing unavailable women, she'd do fine in the church. But there's that pesky morality contract thing, you know. I am moral. Aramis insists when challenged on this point. Who am I to seduce if not women who are attached elsewhere? If I sleep with someone who has expectations of a future with me, I'd be bound to disappoint them when I leave Paris to become a priest. She suggested once that if or when she leaves the fleet, I could have her spot. We were worse for wine at the time, and I confessed I didn't want to be a musketeer without her. We hugged, there might have been a few tears, Athos and Porthos laughed at us. Yes, in case it wasn't obvious, I have a slight crush on her. It's fine, I'll get over it. I've never had a group of friends like this before. I understand now, what you used to say about being a musketeer and the friends you had at your back. I have this and it's good. I wouldn't sacrifice any of them to reach my dream. Not one Perhaps some day, the regent suggested to me, a tease not a promise. It's easier to return to the dull grind of Mecca Squad Esart, knowing I have friends like these waiting for me when my shift is done. Love Dana in Paris. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at R Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week for more Musketeers. In space! I'm sorry.